Hey, thanks for listening to Tebs Talks, the premier useless podcast. Don't forget to give it a like, give it a share, and follow the podcast to hear more episodes. Hey, welcome back to Tebs Talks, the premier useless podcast. Um, I'm your host, Jason Tebs. Uh, this episode, we are going to keep on keeping on with my book, The Live Reading. Um, again, one take, not editing this. If the voices I do are different from the last time I read... You know, forgive me, um, I'm just kind of shooting this from the hip. So if you haven't listened to the episode where I read the first two chapters, I would highly suggest going back listening to that. Um, if you're stubborn and you're just going to listen to this episode before listening to those, a uh, bit of an explanation. I'm just reading the book I wrote called Five Keepers Moonbrick. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. You can buy it for Kindle. Um, and I'm just kind of giving what was going through my head when I was writing it, giving a little more explanation. I'm going to call it like the director's or writer's cut of the book. So it's not an official audiobook. It is me just kind of explaining a little more of what's going on in the book, giving a little bit of insight. <clears throat> so where we last left off, uh, the Brotherhood, as they call themselves, had gotten into a bit of shenanigans and one of their friends, Tegan, came out to kind of their secret hideout and was like, okay guys, you know, you really screwed up this time. And now we are starting with the chapter called Trial. The judge was a fat fat man named Dorfus who took up most of the door frame as he entered the ornate granite floored courtroom. He waddled down the aisle of benches filled with people interested in the fates of the group on trial. With every other step, a sharp, short breath or a wheezy breath out came from the fat man. He was sweating, and the final ascent to the judge's seat stared him in the face. Usually, he was in a seat before the accused arrived, and the room was empty of bystanders, but there was nothing usual about this situation. The city of Saul sat in the center of the country. It was home primarily to humans, though other races have come from far and wide to build a better life in the lavish city. It had been flanked by mountains and contained a lake with more salt in it than the oceans. It was a booming city that survived on the salt trade, a rare yet vital part of life. With this resource came power and influence. Judge Dorfus was one of the three high judges of the city. These men oversaw the interpretation of the law and the land, and to say they had influence was an understatement. This judge was known to be a prick. He thought of himself above everybody, even at times the king. He used tax money to both party and feast and never did anything for himself thus his size so obviously i wanted to give a little bit of a backdrop into this city um that uh majority of this book takes place in um me growing up just outside of salt lake city uh took a lot of inspiration from just the local geography around you know where i live so sol means salt in spanish um kind of a play off salt lake city so yes um one thing that people might not have realized when they first read through my book is the the geography of the world is like the same geography of the actual world that we live on and then names of major cities are just kind of like given a twist to fit more of a fantasy theme. Um, part of that was for me to have a better grasp and understanding of like where things were. It just helped out in my brain. 
And then also, you know, because it this book really is a nod to my life, I wanted it to actually be in a recognizable world. So, a visible struggle came from the stand. Nordai and Jamath had to use every bit of strength they had not to laugh at the man who happened to be on the picture they were sharing in the prison cells. So that's a little that's a little nod to when Jamath and Nordai were in the prison and they were sharing those pictures, the one that said, um, when you have all the money in the world and the horse still won't sleep with you, and it had a picture of a judge. It had a picture of this judge, Judge Dorfus, um, on that. Those the pictures they were essentially sharing memes. Uh, so that's kind of like a callback to that situation. They weren't fond of him, nor he of them. Amos wasn't paying attention to anything in particular. On occasion, he would scan the room, make eye contact with a woman, and give her a wink. Many women, and even some men, were enamored by the half-elf. Jalen talked with Tegan. They had to think of some way to get them all out of this, and knew the others wouldn't be much help. Tegan had position high enough in the government to be an advocate for the Brotherhood, Though Tegan was bound by the law, he would always fight for his friends. The Duke, whose name was Charles, and the Bishop entered where the judge had previously entered. The two often showed up to cases of high importance. The Bishop and the Church were as much a part of the government as the King and his palace. Saul started as a religious settlement. Those early settlers believed Caval, uh, the Father of Light, had brought them to this land to be prosperous. Religion was the first government. But as more people from the outside world came to the land, a true government had to be established, one keeping a check on the other. So again, you know, very reminiscent of Salt Lake, Mormon pioneers coming to the valley, that sort of thing. So the Duke was legal advisor to the king. The king didn't have time to go to many local matters as he was constantly traveling across the land meeting with other governments to secure trade deals and relations. The mismatch of men on trial liked the king, and they had no ill will towards the duke. It was the bishop and the judge Dorfus they had vendettas against. The bishop tried to control them, and the judge did everything in his power to imprison them. The brotherhood didn't take well to imprisonment, nor being controlled. The judge cleared his throat. Order, order, on the 25th day of the sixth month of the 715th year of Caval, we will now begin the trial of... He paused and met the gaze of the defendants to catch... And to catch his breath. These men versus the church and state. Sir Tegan Willard, paladin of the city of Saul, by trade and mastery, is to be the advocate for the following. Nordi of the Tufel race, alchemist by trade, warlock by mastery. The judge didn't know Nordi's formal introduction, nor did anyone but the Brotherhood. King Dramoth Ray Smith, king of the fallen Wraith clan of dwarves. Smith by trade, rogue by mastery. Sir Amos Chafal, bard by trade and mastery. He was knighted by the king's daughter, a fan. Lastly, High Druid Jalen Woodglen, protector of the Woodglen, heir to the Woodglen throne of the Woodglen tribe of Druids, Druid by mastery. Jalen hated his formal introduction too long so this is another part in the book where i really want to like solidify okay who are these main characters that we're working with so we get their like formal titles um part of the traditions of this city uh in in my world is people have very formal titles of what their trade is so what they might make money doing and their mastery in my world everybody has um at least some minor 
magical traits. And again, it's heavily Dungeons and Dragons focused. So you might be thinking like, okay, what would a fighter or a barbarian uh, have that's magical? Well, like their their fighting abilities and their capabilities like come from a magical source, you know, to be able to strike that fast, hit that hard, you know, it's not just pure brute muscle. There is a component of magic to it. So a lot of people, if you're familiar with D&D, in my world would maybe know like a base level cantrip, maybe one. Um, but so that's why, you know, we're seeing um, Tegan, paladin of the city of Saul by trade and mastery. So he's a paladin by trade because he's of a religious and a uh, government rank of a paladin um, for the city. And then that's also his mastery. So his, his magical ability is, is what a paladin might have. Um, and then Nordai, alchemist by trade, so that's that's what he would make money as would be alchemy and warlock by mastery. Um, Jamoth Raysmith, king of the fallen Wraith clan of dwarves, smith by trade, rogue by mastery. Uh, Amos Shadefall, bard by trade and mastery, so a bard, um, somebody that would travel around, tell tales, um, play music for money, and you know that's where he gets his magical ability. And then. He was knighted by the king's daughter's uh, last. He was knighted by the king's daughter because it's the king's daughter's fan. And then lastly, we have High Druid Jalen Woodglen, protector of the Woodglen, heir to the Woodglen throne, and of the Woodglen tribe of Druids. Druid by mastery. So Jalen doesn't have a formal trade because uh, he's you know the heir to this kingdom. So he just has his mastery of being a druid. And he hates his formal name because it's such a long introduction, right? Okay, here we go. Back at it. The judge continued, To represent the church and the state are the bishop and duke, respectively. The bishop and duke were titles to always be used in formal encounters. The idea was one did not talk to a person, they were talking to their position. It kept these high positions from getting associated with a name. The same couldn't be said for the judge. Judges got to flaunt their names in formal settings. Guess which judge came up with that rule? So this idea that, like, Okay, when you're doing the duties of the bishop or the judge, like, or not the judge, the bishop or the duke, you are in that position, right? It's not, oh, I'm not Jason Tebbs, the duke. It's like, you know, I have my life that's Jason Tebbs, and I have my life that is I am in the role of the duke. So, you know, very formal in the city. However, the judges and Judge Dorfus was like, okay, no, I want to be able to flaunt that I'm a judge. So I'm Judge Dorfus. It's Judge Dorfus, not, you know, a high judge. You know. So I'm going to take a brief break right there, and then we will be back with more. Okay, and we're back. And with this, uh, with this chapter having a lot of, like, setup of characters and kind of how this world, or at least this city, operates... Um, and I'm going into a lot of description on things. I might just keep uh, this episode to one chapter rather than, you know, the last one was two chapters. might keep this one to one chapter. Okay. The trial went on. The legalities bored the lot of them. Jalen and Tegan tried to keep the peace. Nordai would give an eloquent defense speech, which did influence the vast majority of the crowd. Charismatic as always. Jamath and Amos said nothing. The bishop wanted to pass all judgment allowed by the by his deity, Caval, but the duke spoke compromise. Just when it seemed an agreement was about to be made and that the guilty party were to leave the city and take post elsewhere, Amos noticed the quiet. 
No one was moving. No one was speaking. Everyone froze but him. He knew what he had caused to stop in time, but he didn't know who. A hooded figure walked in. Their robe was deep crimson red and gave no feature to their body. Amos had seen this spell used once before, only by himself, the ability to stop time but for a moment. This may have been the only reason he wasn't affected by the spell, because he was, to his previous knowledge, the only person to have known of its existence. The hooded figure noticed Amos had not been stopped by the spell. They turned their head and brought up a finger to where Amos assumed a mouth would be below the hood. He assumed they meant for him to be quiet, but another another spell had stopped him from speaking anyway. The same finger that was lifted pointed towards the judge. A thin blue flow of arcane energy seeped from the hand towards the judge and then turned towards the bishop. The finger waved a bit in the air and then a message landed in front of Amos. Speak not of what you saw. It was engulfed in flames once Amos had read it. The smell of the burnt paper caused his memory to go hazy. Whatever magic was at work, it was powerful. Nothing had ever taken the mind of both Nordi and Amos, but there they were, one never noticing, and one about to forget. So, here we have a, a person walking into this courtroom, stopping time, and um, doing who knows what, and then essentially knocking Amos out with that you know, spell of, hey, don't speak of what you saw. It engulfed in flames and knocks him out. So, you know, this last line, um, our last couple, nothing had ever taken the mind of both Nordi and Amist. But there they were. One never noticing, Nordi never noticed, and one about to forget. So Amist was about to forget what was happening. Um, it it kind of goes to show, you know, Amist, previous to this, was the only person who was like, whoa, I'm the only person that's ever stopped time before, to my knowledge. And then all of a sudden, time's being stopped around him. And it just kind of goes to show you that, like, these people, our main characters, are incredibly powerful. Because nothing's ever taken the mind of both Nordi and Amos. They have, you know, their own strengths. Um, again, if you know D&D, uh, a bard goes off of, like, charisma, and so does a warlock. But, like, their kind of magics are still slightly different, like, of how they get them and what capabilities that they have. So it's like for something to take both one mind and not the other. Now, it doesn't translate perfectly to D&D with how different stats are allocated and best for a warlock and bard because they're both charisma classes. And saves to take over the mind would be, like, intelligence or maybe wisdom, Um, so it's not a perfect translation there, but the point is like, hey, we have really strong people and to take over one mind is a feat, let alone both. So whoever we're dealing with right here, very powerful person. Amos surveyed the room, caught the eye of another woman and winked. Nordai had just given another testimony, this time on the count that the practice of demonic magic is forbidden in the city. The judge and bishop seemed not to mind what Nordai had been saying. Oh, yeah, so the magic that uh, Nordi uses is forbidden. <laughs> Fun fact. Anyway, it is with a humble heart, the bishop started, that the church forgives the acts of Nordi and the Brotherhood. We base our beliefs on forgiveness. Oh, wait, this is a bishop. It is with a humble heart that the church forgives the acts of Nordi and the Brotherhood. 
We base our beliefs on forgiveness and repentance, but we ask you all sincerely to ask our God, Kaval, Father of Light, for forgiveness. He is willing to forgive all. This was out of character for the bishop. There are many in the faith who believed what he had just said, and many of them seemed happy with his judgment, but the bishop, the true bishop, was not among them. Then it's decided. The judge's tone had changed as well. All stolen materials will be returned to their proper locations. All damages are to be repaired and paid for by the guilty party. The judge wanted to say more, wanted to execute more. He was sweating and breathing harder than he had while climbing up the podium. Adjourned. Peace be upon her. Everyone assumed the judgment goddess Enna, mother of life, but all court and all court sessions ended peace be upon him. This was not your usual court case, and everyone knew it. So something's going on here. There was a slight buzz from the bystanders. Nordi, still on the stand, looked at Jalen and Tegan puzzled. The two returned a look, to, a look of confusion. Jamoth lifted a flask to his mouth in celebration, not taking much thought of the situation. Amos was already talking to fans. Judge Dorfus and the bishop left together. The duke started for the door and motioned for Tegan to join him. The duke and paladin walked at a brisk pace out of the courthouse towards the castle. Charles started. I will give you the benefit of the doubt, but I know of only two people who could have swayed the mind of the bishop and that prick of a judge. I'm not saying I'm upset. In fact, I'm the opposite. But this issue goes beyond what I find enjoyable. One-on-one, -on -one, I am on even grounds with them, but those two together can go over my head and the king's entirely. So whatever magic Nordi or Amos used, it better not be found out, or you may never see your friends as you know them again. Whether they defend themselves until this town is ripped asunder, or they flee, they are in danger. The two entered the castle, which had recently been upgraded with the finest metalwork and stone artist artistry. Uh, they ascended some stairs and set off from the main greeting hall up towards the offices of those high-ranking royal positions. Tegan waited a moment, weighing something on his head as he entered the duke's office. It wasn't them. And what evidence do you have? The duke was intrigued and hopeful. Amos couldn't have. He has to put on a show, partly because of the magic he uses, and because that is of his character. He said nothing. He hardly moved. He was bored, but gives no thought about that judge or bishop. Tegan was pacing across the fine rug that made the room feel more welcoming than the stone floors would have otherwise. As for Nordai, he was on the stand and was speaking, but his plan wasn't to use magic to get out of the situation, it was to use favor. He was warming up the crowd, trying to get a sort of jury on his side. He can convince those below the bishop or he can convince those below the bishop who were there. Maybe he could get the bishop to pander to his followers. He has to keep up some semblance of forgiveness. That would be a much greater victory for Nordai than simply using magic. Nordai and Amos don't want to cause trouble. They are retired adventurers who saved a city, saved a country, and at what loss? There is no foe that can challenge them. It is almost an excuse for them to leave this place behind, maybe go to what they were destined to do. Tegan was beginning to reminisce in dreams of lives that could never be. Jalen is an heir to a kingdom which may never accept him truly. Jamoth is, is king of a fallen kingdom. He has nothing to rule. Amos was a traveler, had no one, knew no one. Part of the reason he loves himself so much. He has fans, but no family outside the brotherhood. 
Nor I, the ruler of the fort. The duke raised an eyebrow at Tegan's words, but said nothing. He has as bad of a situation as anyone can have. My friends don't care what happens to them, but I do. The city needs them, and they need friends in the city. Neither side sees that. Tegan sat exhausted just from his thoughts. The duke toyed with the words spoken. What had happened in that room? Who was the culprit? Charles sighed. I need to investigate. You need to investigate as well, he meant the Brotherhood. But we raise no suspicion. You tell no one what you are doing. But you gather information. If the bishop is compromised, well, you know. The duke waited for a response. None came, and he turned directly to Tegan. You love that girl, and she follows the religion headed by the bishop. I do not assume to know where her allegiances lie. I just pray she not be influenced. I cannot lie to her. We are getting married in a week. It is bad enough that my groomsmen were just on trial, but I'd rather them not be there than to lie to her. Tegan's face was slowly getting red. He withdrew something from his pocket and took a deep breath of it, a medicine Nordi and Jalen had created. Be gentle with her, but it may be best you tell her. After the wedding, I would advise. You follow the same God. Pity you have allegiances to the state and her to the church. We don't want anything to ruin the special day with the bishop wedding you two and all. Tegan looked, took in another breath of the medicine. They didn't do it. Jalen, or, <laughs> they didn't do it. Jalen burst into the room very far behind in the conversation the two were having. We know that, Jalen, the duke gestured. Jalen to sit down. Trouble seemed to never leave the brotherhood. So, where we're leaving off this chapter, um, kind of a lot happens in this chapter, and there was a lot of formality to explain in the beginning, but uh, the second half, they essentially, like, get away scot-free. And everybody realizes, like, hey, that doesn't seem right, because the bishop and judge hate these guys. Like, not fans of these guys at all. Um, But suddenly they're like, oh yeah, they can just go, whatever. So we as the readers know, okay, somebody came in and did something. We don't know what they did. We don't know who did it. But the characters don't know what happened, right? Time froze and Amos lost his memory of the event. So, um, you know, the characters are super confused as to what's going on, which raises a lot of concern. They're like, in no real legitimate world would this judge and this bishop just be okay to let these guys walk. So something has to be wrong, right? And, you know, for them, or for at least some of them, it's kind of a game to, like, beat these guys in a debate. Like, it's it's a game for Nordi to outsmart, outwit, outcharm the judge and the bishop and say, oh, look, you know, you guys might have all this power and here I am, somebody that's technically forbidden to be here. And everybody loves me. I'm using a forbidden magic. Everybody loves me, though. And they sided with me and not you. You know, that's that's a huge, like, personal victory for Nordi. So just simply them suddenly all of a sudden being like, oh, you can go, is not satisfactory to at least Nordi. Um, you know, Tegan and Jalen are like, oh, thank goodness. You know, we're out of that situation. And then Jamath and Amos are like, okay, whatever. Like, we didn't care to begin with. Um but, you know, with Tegan and Jalen, though they're relieved that, um, you know, no further things happened, they too realize, like, okay, that was a stark change in the tone of the meeting, 
which means something's not okay. And we get a glimpse into why the Duke and Tegan specifically are a little afraid of it. Because Tegan's about to marry, you know, he's about to get wed, and the bishop's going to be officiating the wedding. So if something suddenly happened to the bishop, like if something's wrong here, they don't want that special day to be ruined. Um, Tegan is a paladin for the state of Saul, we're going to learn later. Jane is part of um, the religion and follows the religion and is like has a position uh, within that religion. Though they both worship the same god, Tegan is like loyal to the state, you know, the city of Saul, where his soon-to-be wife is like lawyer loyal to the bishop and this you know religion, um, and like the structure within there. So they at the very end of that conversation they're like hey we've got a big event coming up we need to be incredibly careful not just for your friend's sake but for your freaking marriage right so um more to come that was just chapter three called trial the next chapter to give you a sneak peek um i'll read a little bit the next chapter is called portal And you know who makes portals? Nordi makes portals. So, stick around. I'm definitely going to be reading more uh, from the book. Again, you can buy this book. It's called Five Keepers Moonbrook. It was written by yours truly. It's on Amazon and Kindle. Uh, So if you go on Amazon and type in Five Keepers Moonbrook, you should get it. Um, I believe if you type in Jason Tebbs as well, you should get it. Uh, at the very least, it's like linked in every single episode. Um, I'm recording this on my phone right now, so the link might not be there initially. I'm going to have to go back onto my computer and add the link in there. Um, follow me on Twitter, at Pummelhead. Some of my tweets are pretty funny. Um, and, you know, sometimes I just give kind of updates on what's going on. And then, you know, give this podcast a like, give it a share. Give it a follow so you can keep up with more readings and my other things that I talk about. Um, and stick around. You know, listening, if you're listening to this this far into it, thank you so much. That means so much to me. Um, it, it really, really, truly does. Seeing the re- acceptance or reception is a better word of what I've been doing re- lately is a huge confidence booster it, it just makes me so much more excited to keep doing what I'm doing. Um, and I'm getting some good feedback from people, both on just uh, boosting my morale on it, you know, saying like, hey, great, I love listening to it, and other things where it's like, you know, oh, you know, try talking about this or try doing that. Um, really great feedback. So thanks so much. I hope you have a wonderful day or evening or morning, whatever it might be for you. And uh, Peace out.